0: Welcome again to another edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast, as always, Mike Crimmins. How you hey, doing, Zach. Mike?
1: Good, Zach. How you doing?
0: This is the end of the year, December 2021 version.
1: Yes, the holiday edition, the end of year edition, and 2021 has been quite a year.
0: You know... How many years have we been doing this? It feels like 11. I mean, this is, we, we, we need to rejoice. We need to celebrate. Yeah, we say true. this a lot, but in, as far as niche podcasting goes, a podcast for 11 years on the Southwest climate is we're either fools or we're probably fools.
1: I've heard as much. People think we're fools. So yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's... How many, you shouldn't times, question that. how many times in the 11 years, like let's say, you know, 130 episodes... Have we talked about El Nino or La Nina?
1: <laughs> Probably
0: 130 times. What about drought? What if we did a oh, word cloud? If yeah, we did a word cloud. What would be the the, the the most frequent topics?
1: I think this word cloud idea is a good one. Do you have any money paying under poor undergrad to <laughs> to
0: go back and transcribe? And oh, I wasn't thinking of doing it manually, but that that's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably more automated. Versions, <laughs> no, anyway, I was just reflecting on it. It's, uh, it. It was another really fun, fun, fun year to do this. So it's usually the the highlight of my month. So uh, same, same you here. Like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're both still basking in the glow of monsoon uh, 2021. I mean, I'm yeah, we'll still, get to I, that.
0: We're not going to let that one down. I, we'll I won't,
1: to- I won't do it. But I still, I still look out my window at home, backyard in our wash. There are still plants that grew in the monsoon <laughs> there that I've never seen before in the 15 years I've lived at this house. So
0: fortunately, the mosquitoes are gone.
1: Yeah, that was good. I'm glad glad to see them. Glad to see them move on.
0: All right, so we're going to do a slightly abbreviated version, just because it's the holiday. Um, yeah, we we'll are
1: going to a New Year climate bender uh, in the New Year.
0: Let's just do a quick recap, Mike. Uh, you know, we were been about a month since we uh, recorded. We recently got a little bit of rain, but by and large, Mike. Basically, since the end of September, much of the southern half of Arizona and uh, the Southwest really has has been dry, and that basically persisted. Well, that that's been the that's been the state for the last couple months, aside from a couple, um, maybe a couple a couple storms. W- why don't you take us through? Give us the the brief version of what transpired in the last month uh, in the Southwest.
1: Not much. Too brief.
0: Maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe, stretch it out Dive into that just a little bit.
1: Okay, yeah. So just like you said, we can go all the way back to the monsoon. I would just rather talk about the monsoon again. We just continue to talk about our, our favorite moments. October, not much going on. Uh, November, uh, if you recall, it's not too far in the rearview mirror. Very dry across much of the Southwest. Quite warm too. And I think you had, you maybe have some statistics on a couple of the cities on. Uh, what some of those precipitation totals were. Just looking back at the last thirty days or so, there were there's basically been two precipitation events. There was one very warm and dry up through the middle of November, right getting into the Thanksgiving holiday week. Um, we did have a trough of low pressure start to move in, dragged in some subtropical moisture, and produced a little bit of rainfall. It wasn't really anything epic or of huge consequence. Ridging built back in, we warmed up again, quite warm again. And then um, we've had a couple of troughs of low pressure skirt by and mostly bring us uh, brief cool down temperatures, but we quickly kind of rebound to average to above average pre- uh, temperatures again. But we did have a pretty decent event just a couple of days ago. So this would have been like December 9th, 10th and 11th where um, another deeper trough of low pressure was able to pull in some pretty good moisture. We got a little bit of uh, rain here in uh, Tucson. Well, actually, not a little bit. I actually got over a half inch of rain, but other parts of the state did quite well. Arizona, it did reach into parts of Western New Mexico, but was really kind of focused on the higher country of Arizona, was into Southern Utah, and then it did actually get into some of the mountains of uh, Southwest Colorado as well. And that kind of brings us up to present. So we're, we're now at um, Zach, as you mentioned too, there's some clouds rolling in. We've got another storm system that doesn't look quite as wet as the one we had just a couple of days ago, but, you know, should give us in Southern Arizona, a decent shot at precip looks quite, quite good for snow for Flagstaff in the high country. And then hopefully that is able to kind of track into parts of Southern Colorado and New Mexico over the next couple of days.
0: Yeah. And um, just to add to that, somebody was asking me, we're reflecting on that it had been dry. And my reaction was, yeah, it's been dry, but it's not all that uncommon. And it, it's not in any one month, but then I, I, I looked at Tucson airport and just looked at October, and November, and it turned out that it's, it's pretty unlikely that both months back to back experience basically zero, zero rainfall. I think, um, I think this year was, it it basically had a trace a hundredth of an inch over those two months. And that had only occurred a couple of times in, in the record. So it is at least in Tucson, it is uh, um, pretty unlikely that you'd have back-to-back bone dry months. Just looking at um, November as a whole, all of I, I think the sort of four corners area in Northern Arizona was maybe it's slightly better, but even, even still basically the entire Southwest, Arizona, New Mexico, Uh, the southern half of California, and then the southern parts of Colorado, Nevada, and Utah have all been basically less than 25% uh, of of average. And that's, that's more, I guess, more uh, important for the mountain areas that it's been that dry, because obviously, snowpack starts to build in and, and we can get talk about the snowpack condition, but it largely reflects a, a, a sort of dry, start to the winter broadly across the West. And you basically have to go all the way up to the Pacific Northwest to where you see precipitation patterns that start getting to average and and, and above average. And I guess if we brought this to sort of the expectation of the winter based on, you know, this La Nina event, we can talk a little bit more about this in a minute. This is kind of the pattern that you would, that maybe we would have expected.
1: Previous years where we went into La Nina events, one of the, the stark, starkest examples was, would have been 2017, 2018. That was a pretty deep, that was a really, really warm dry fall. And it was quite a bit warmer and quite a bit less precipitation. And we have, we don't have a lot to talk about. We have a handful of events this year, but I believe it was even drier in that 2017 event in that fall event. And that was the La Nina driven event. And then we can go back to even like last fall. We didn't have much, right? We didn't, we came out of that Bone dry monsoon season and then rolled right into the winter. And we only had a, a handful of storms um, that really occurred a little bit later in the season, more December, and then it's in January, and then we picked something up a little bit more. So, um, a handful of events so far. October is kind of a toss up month, anyways, for much of the Southwest. You know, it could be that tropical storm activity would sneak in there, you had a little bit of late stuff in the early part of the month. Back half of the month is could be the The storm systems that are able to drop far enough south, you know, California usually and the Pacific Northwest maybe get a couple of early season storms. And they did in October this year. We didn't really get in much of that action. And then November is a transition month and we've had some very wet Novembers due to storm, like winter storm activity in the not last year, but the previous year. And so, yeah, I wasn't too surprised. It sounds like you weren't really
0: either that it wasn't dry. I just would have thought it would have been more, frequent to look at both October and November as yeah. months, but, but I think your point is a good one, which is that we, we have to think of these months as they're different processes and they're different patterns that are going on in terms of what would drive the, 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 the rainfall and yeah. completely different things. So looking at them back to back is maybe just like a statistical nicety, but maybe not all that instructive in terms of what's physically going on with the climate because there isn't that connection, I guess. Uh, whereas, yeah. you know, next month, like we might start seeing this, this high price. So it, it, I, I look back at the sort of 500 um, millibar level maps just to see what the, what the pressure levels were like. And it, it did seem like for the most part, there was a, a high pressure over, over the West. Yep. And yeah. maybe that pattern persists, which is, and that's a pattern that's kind of characteristic of uh, a La Nina.
1: Yeah. And I think like the, the Enso blog is calling out the preset pattern we've seen over the last 30, 60 days as being La Nina adjacent, <laughs> or maybe probably, you know, strongly caused by La Nina conditions. So the, the, the atmosphere is definitely responding to the La Nina event, probably a bit more than I think we thought it would be at this time. And it's a little bit stronger than we thought it would be at this time. So, you know, I kind of was holding out that maybe it was going to be a bit weaker and that we'd a, be have a little noisier atmosphere squeak in some more precip events. But as you pointed out, there's been a really strong, persistent ridge of high pressure across the West that has been persistent, you know, through much of November. And so some of the media reports about the Amstrak rivers up through the Pacific Northwest and into uh, British Columbia, really, they probably hearken back to the the La Nina pattern persisting across the
0: Pacific. Well, you know that, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's been let's say the climate story of the early month, these atmospheric rivers, I mean, I guess we could also say that, of course, the the most recent, you know, eight state line of tornadoes that just wrecked devastation, that that probably now crests it, but uh, in, in terms of the climate story of the last 30, 60 days, but these atmospheric rivers basically started, I mean, I, I believe, you know, in early October, um, Pacific Northwest, or was it, the San Francisco area got, got, got clobbered with it. And and the one that we've talked about or the one that you mentioned that's striking the, it's basically the central coast of California right now. And it's, and that's probably what is driving in these, these, these clouds right now, right? We're on the Southern sort of fringes of, of that, of that system. And and maybe we squeak out some moisture out of the atmosphere there, but uh, nothing in comparison to obviously what's happening Sierra in Nevada's and, and whatnot, which is, Quite a bit of snow falling up there.
1: The persistent jet stream patterns can lead to focusing precipitation patterns too, right? And so I think that these, these atmospheric rivers certainly can be related to um, standing wave patterns in the, in the jet stream that would then just draw up and focus and funnel uh, precipitation in these narrow bands, as you'd see. If the, if the jet had more of a kind of progressive nature where it was sort of building, breaking, building, breaking, then you'd see the, the lows kind of moving up and down the coast, they, they kind of drop down here and you'd get a little bit more of an even pattern. But when it does become stuck, you do end up having these anomalies emerge. And we know that from a lot of the ENSO research is that you end up getting rain stacking up in one area where it could have been evened out. And it typically is not across the Southwest. We're in the, that dry spot now, but it really is going to be interesting to see the pattern is broken down a couple of times here in December the outlook for the next three to four weeks, if you're looking at like some of the modeling and then some of the Climate Prediction Center's outlooks, they really show the increased risk of above average precipitation for the entire West Coast, including us. And the dry pocket moves over into New Mexico, which which can happen during some periods of La Nina events.
0: Yeah, and I I think another consequence of, the sort of persistence of the ridge is if you look at maps of temperature across the west, it's been much above average. In some cases, the average for Arizona is as high as six degrees Fahrenheit. Sort of that's along, the, let's say, the, the western part of the state, um, the high country as well. And, you know, southern, the southern half is anywhere above, you know, four, four degrees Fahrenheit and, and above. So, which isn't surprising. These things, like if, if you get a high pressure, helping to prevent those storms from wafting in off the, you know, from the north. And so, which would bring colder conditions. So these two things are, uh, are related. Um, but that also doesn't bode well for, or hasn't bode well for the few events that have produced snow in the, in the, in the higher country. In fact, the one that you mentioned in, what was it, December 9th and 10th, did drop a little bit of snow up on, up on Mount Lemon. And uh, in, uh, in other parts, maybe just a quick tour about the snowpack. You know, the water situation is—it it hasn't been good for a very long time. It's—it's it's at its lowest point uh, in terms of water levels in um, Lake Mead and Lake Powell in a very long time. Like shortage sharing agreements are in place. You know, Elephant Butte and on, on the Rio Grande is basically empty. You know, and a lot of pressure is put on the winter snowpack. Yeah, La Nina suggests a kind of drier signal. If you're betting, you'd probably bet on a drier signal for, you know, Arizona and and, and south of that, but that's sort of statistical correlation and physically that breaks down too, um, such that you don't really have a hedge for Colorado and Utah, which I suppose is a good thing in this, in this winter, because we certainly don't want there not to be any snow, but you know the the early reports are pretty pretty dry and obviously we, we we just talked about that there really isn't a basin across the west with the exception of a few in california that are changing as we speak but there there aren't there is not a basin in in, in the west that has above average snow snow water equivalent uh which is which is a real bummer and and if i'm like Looking at all of these dots which showed these snow sites. So these sites that measure snow and, and water content in the snowpack at high elevation sites, there's just a, you know, outside of the Sierra Nevadas, there's just a handful of them that are close to or above above average. So I mean it's it's early, I should say, right? Like it's it's December, mid-December.
1: It's super but, early, man.
0: Yeah. The peak in snow water content is like April one for a lot of these. Uh, sites. So we've got a long way to go.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm a little glass half full on this because, well, there's a couple of things I think that are going to be interesting to watch this year. So the fall's not been particularly wet for the Colorado River Basin in particular, especially the lower Colorado River Basin. Right. And it looks like snow water equivalent across the basins is anywhere from it's like 45 for much of the salt to 85% for the Verde, 71% for the, the uh, Little Colorado. The basins in New Mexico are quite a bit lower. And I think it's to your point, Zach, is that the the event we had last week, I think actually did boost the Arizona snow up a little bit. So we're already kind of diverging between Arizona and New Mexico. The upper basin, there's there's a basin in the straddles, Utah and Colorado. It's at 90%. <laughs> so I'm like glass half full. I mean, you're right. They're not, it's early... Um, but some of those basins are 90, 81, 75, you know, up into the Rockies in Colorado. I'm really curious though, about how the wet summer, if it did lock any soil moisture away that if any of this, is, like, if that's going to help improve like mediocre snowpack, will it? Have right. what's the off?
0: efficiency and maybe the efficiency yeah. goes up. Yeah, yeah. It's funny though. I, like I look at these maps and yeah, like a hundred is that sort of inflection point, but like you know, 120 is a new hundred. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and, and, and what I mean by that is in terms of runoff efficiency, right. That's a good point. Just because of the warming conditions and yeah, you need, you, you need more than a hundred percent of snowpack to get, you know, a hundred percent of streamflow. So that efficiency has, it requires more snowpack, to get the same amount of runoff than it did, let's say 20, 30 years ago. I mean, that's what the research is, is, is saying, but in, in part that, yeah. We'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll see maybe the, maybe the winter or sorry, the summer will have an impact on that. And we, we won't need 110 or 120. We'll, we'll just need an average year and, 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 and that'll be good. But also I think, I think we, we, you know, an average or even slightly above average is still not going to be, great. You know, we kind of need like a game changer so that the narrative, not just the narrative, but the conversation changes a little bit on the, on the Colorado, uh, and the Rio Grande.
1: Yeah. I just, so my (laughs) glass, so I'll go back to my glass half empty perspective now. So I think the summer soil moisture is probably going to have a minimal effect. You look at the research, it's super helpful, but it's how much it snows during the winter, which is really going to be critical. And then kind of the timing of that precipitation, temperatures that accompany it to see what that runoff is going to look like later in the spring. And this year with La Nina conditions expected to persist. And as you point out earlier, the upper Colorado river basin is kind of on an inflection point where we see it kind of goes wet to the North of that dry to the South. It's not super clear. We're going to end up pulling off something and we would need something miraculous at this point to really probably change the conversation around the, you know, the reservoir levels at this point.
0: Right. So I'm, I'm hoping um, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> you men- you mentioned uh, La Nina. And, and so maybe let's, let's think a little bit about let's provide an update on where we stand and kind of where we think we're going. And, you know, this is the second in a, in a back-to-back, a double dip La Nina, as they call it, it's not uncommon. This has happened. We have seven of these in our, in our historical record. How many do we have in our podcast record? We, we've done this a few times with double dip. I think, we, I think
1: we have too.
0: Yeah. I know t-
1: 2011, 2012 was a double dip and that was the beginning. And I, so I know we at least have that one. Um, we should have a normals period just based on the podcast.
0: <laughs> there is a physical reason why this is. I can't really explain it. I, I've read the papers that talk about it. I just don't like understand it. I think conceptually it, like what, what what usually happens, I think, is that these double dips occur following a relatively strong El Nino, which is interesting because the, the most recent El Nino two years ago was- Weak. Was very weak. I mean, I don't even yeah. know if it was an El Nino. So we've we've now got this double dip following like a marginal El Nino, but historically these double dips happen when they follow relatively strong El Ninos. And I think that the the, the reason for that is there's- there's just a lot of heat content that goes out of the tropical Pacific ocean during those big, during the waning stages of the big El Ninos. And then it, and then it just takes longer time to replenish.
1: Yeah. It's a recharge mechanism. And, and I, I saw that same thing that you were just talking about too, is that the double dip w- was thought to be less common following weak events. And so it's kind of like this interesting research question. It also points to the fact that we have such a short, record when we're talking about, you know, like 1950 to present for the way we really talk about Nino events. You can, you know, some of these events are like on one hand, like of their flavors and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. No, there's no robust statistics going on. No, no. It's like, isn't that interesting? This is where the dynamics of it become so important because Mm -hmm. if you can understand like the processes by which these things occur, then, I mean, that's a more robust way to think about it than just like, the statistics, we can come up with some of the causal mechanisms. And I I think that there's a lot of, I mean, it's complicated, right? Like these things are dealing with these oceanic, coupled oceanic and atmospheric systems that are global. And so it's, and I don't fully understand when I try to read those dynamics papers, it's like, uh, I, I get like, through the conceptual introduction, and then like deep into the methods and, and dynamics of it. And it's like really kind of hard to follow, but I I do think that there is like, there is solid explanations about why we would think that sort of strong El Ninos would, would lead to double dips and that sort of thing. Focusing on the statistics maybe is uh, okay to, to be critical, but the dynamics are, are, are important to look at.
1: Yeah, for sure. We don't have the dynamics nailed though. <laughs> I think the, the real challenge here too is, so yeah, I think that we'd reasoned out that the double dip after the strong El Nino events makes sense. And I think that that's true dynamically. This double dip after a week, it's hard to maybe make that dynamical case. And it doesn't, it's interesting. I saw this written somewhere where the idea of a triple dip is not out of the realm of possibility. Well, no, I, th- I think it actually
0: has happened in the historical record. It, it, like yeah. Once, I think
1: it's super rare. It's like maybe yeah, it happened yeah. once in the last 50 years. Or something. Once, yeah. 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 So if you look at the, the subsurface temperature anomalies, when you do this sort of cross-section ac- across the equator, you usually see warm water follow- chasing cold water. And, you know, this is sort of the subsurface cycle across the Pacific. And so you see this cold water coming to the surface right now, but there's still a lot of cold water behind it, which I thought was really interesting. And so it'll be interesting to watch the models because that's what they're really looking towards: is that uh, you know the statistical models are looking at patterns, the dynamical are trying to sort of sort out where this surface interactions and then subsurface thermal temperature interactions are actually going to move over time. And so if they pick up on cold water through the spring that's not being sort of fouled or replaced by near average or above average water, then the models will start to lean against, uh, lean towards another La Nina event forming later this summer, but it's so early and we have all this sort of chaotic stuff going on in the atmosphere above. That's still part of the non-linear um, elements of the system that are kind of pulsing it and shoving it and putting it into different um, directions as well, which is why that forecasting is so hard.
0: Points are La Nina's here, it's gonna persist. Um, we'll have it this winter. We'll see about where, where, where it goes. Expectation, I'm looking at the models now, Mike. Um, I mean, the expectations are almost, all the models are picking, that I'm looking at from the North American multi-model ensemble are, are picking up on this dry Southern tier um, signal and sort of, yeah, it's like the canonical, canonical pattern, dry Southern tier and then wet Pacific Northwest and, and also may, maybe a bit of wet around the, around the great lakes. So these models, I think the fact that they're all saying one thing gives me a little bit more confidence in them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, just don't think there's going to be too much of a surprise how the rest of this season plays out. We will most likely sneak in a handful of events like we've, Done already. Maybe one or two a month. If if we get one or two widespread precipitation events across Arizona, New Mexico for the next couple of months, that's like far exceeding my expectations. If we get one every month through March, I think that's possible. If we get one every other month, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, that's totally not surprising at this point. You know, I think something that looks similar to last year is. Um, Ooh. reasonable at this point Ooh.
0: well last year was not good
1: no it wasn't good but we just don't we don't have too many wet la ninas in our record they happen <laughs> for sure and but they usually carve up the southwest we're part of the region you know it could be like n- we've had this before it's like where northwest arizona gets just hammered by a couple of atmospheric rivers that carve
0: right in Those just the is. right way
1: yeah and it's just dry it's dry southern arizona it's dry new mexico and you can have the alternative too where we get into um Really cool conditions like a trough sets up over the west, but it's dry. We have freezing events and it's dry, and then the rain is actually to the uh, east of us and it's picking up eastern New Mexico and it's you know pounding um Texas with the subtropical jet. But you know, how right, so much ski- in between
0: if you're going skiing this winter?
1: Oh, this is always our good combo, right? Where are you
0: buying your ticket?
1: British Columbia. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think it's going to hang in there? Don't you think you're going go to Whistler again?
0: Canada opened up its borders, right?
1: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we are going to do COVID <laughs> forecasting. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think it's the Pacific Northwest, maybe Northern Idaho, Bozeman. Those kind yeah, of I think that. I we'll do think a that, skiing report. We 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 got to do that. We got to. I this. always enjoyed. I I
1: always enjoyed trying to make that forecast for you and living vicariously through you. So
0: maybe let's end it, Mike. Just I thought it would be fun to kind of just reflect on the last year just think and thinking about like what was your climate moment of the year i was thinking about this this morning so i slapped this to you i don't know if you had a chance to to think about it is there it's kind of a funny like play right like you gotta you gotta pick a mo you gotta pick a moment when you 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 had some sort of insight on on the climate so i'm oh, doing the weather climate thing if that makes sense
1: totally i it's very very clear to me this year. <laughs> Do you want to hear it, or should I just I keep wa- it to myself? No,
0: no, no, no. That was. I just wanted to know if you had one.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right, I'll it, just, I'll it, just, uh, I'll just bury that one away. Give it to me. Okay. So it was a course with the monsoon, right? And I, th- I think, I wish I had the date, right? But I think it was the first week of August. No, I'm, I'm sure it was the first week of August. Okay. So we had already had, you know, just the epic July here in. In Tucson, right? And so it really, you know, decent onset and just, you know, we got clobbered, all sorts of different kinds of weather. The really, really rainy period in um, late July, running washes and that kind of stuff. So, in the beginning of August, my wife and I went for a walk. You know, we do these kind of like sunset walks to the neighborhood. And it was one of those days that it was kind of cloudy during the day, but super humid. And I was like, there's just no way we're going to get anything today. And I was just like, yeah, it, it's a bum day, whatever. And as we're walking the neighborhood, I, I see this storm cell trying to set up over the east end of the Catalinas, which is closer to us than not. And I thought, that's really weird. I wonder how it's doing that. And because it just seemed like it, the thermodynamics were off that day.
0: It was a too wet to rain kind of it was day. A too
1: wet, it felt like a too wet to rain day. And you looked every direction. It, it, it was like rain into the south, maybe, but it was just kind of overcast. And then I watched this rain shaft come out of this storm and just hammer. You could just, you know, it was like thick gray cloud coming to the ground, but you knew it was just millions of gallons of water. And I thought, oh, that's really cool to see. Well, that, that storm grew and grew and grew and then enveloped the east side of town. And we got four and a half inches of rain out of that, that day and that storm cloud that completely defied all of my, Understanding of how the monsoon works, which clearly is not very good, after all of these years. I mean, it was just, oh my gosh, it can do that, and it did it here, and it had we had four and a half inches raining after having eight inches of rain in July. Like it was
0: again, it was just, it was mind blowing to me. Was that when you kept slacking the emojis of the head blowing up?
1: Yes, I think it was. I just, I literally, I'm still kind of, (laughs) I my head, yeah, I'm dazed by that by that whole event because it was just. It was stunning. It really was stunning.
0: All right. So that's cool. I have, I have one, we didn't talk about this. Of course, mine's a monsoon too. And it's, it's almost at around the same time, but I think mine was late July and I was just sitting at the desk. I think it was the first time I was like the record monsoon is in play. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And
0: I think it was that moment that I was like, Oh, this is like, this could be historic. And I got really excited. And then I, and then, but my, my, my thoughts turned, turned elsewhere. And I was like, so much of the news on climate is, is negative. You know, obviously, like, let's say that the tornadoes that, that, that just destroyed, you know, countless homes across eight States, right? Like it's always like these extreme events are always, they're always negative or, you know, it's like crop failures or it's like some politicalization of of climate change or something like that and it's always like kind of a negative thing and then I was like you know like the monsoon like there's no villain in the monsoon you know and it's like everybody just kind of even even last year when the monsoon failed it was like there wasn't a lot of like anger toward the monsoon (laughs) it just it just feels like a happy I mean obviously there's there can be floods and tragedy. And we saw that again this year. So I don't, I'm not trying to minimize that at no, all. No, I get it. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, it, it's an, it's a story that at least in this part of the world that I think has that often is filled with joy and not, and not negative vibes. And so I, that's, I, yeah. yeah, I know. It's so, I think that I'm so, so
1: with you on this, this vibe too, because I delight in the weather. Like I just, I love it. And I, I get totally understand that it is dangerous. It deserves respect. You know, climate change is a huge problem and it, it is increasing these extreme events and it's putting more peoples in harm's way. But, but I always, I always still, you know, look at these events from just a delight. (laughs) It's just really are, you know, the rain down here are, it's just that, that was that story too. I was just like, it was so stunning to try to figure out what was going on, try to understand what was happening. And then to be completely wrong about it in that way um, was just stunning. And that was, that was what this monsoon was. It, and we have talked about this for months now is like, it, it kind of changed the way that I related to the monsoon. Cause I didn't know, I didn't know it this way. Cause I've only lived here for 20 plus years and maybe people have, well, again, like you said, generationally, you don't see this kind of monsoon, except every 30, 40 years, at least that's what the instrumental record has suggested is, is like, you know, for here in Tucson anyways, but
0: yeah. And that absolutely. just brings a depressing thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Maybe. Well, I mean, that's the fun thing. I think that you and I delight in the monsoon. And I think probably a lot of our listeners do. I think most people in Arizona do. And I had a, a reporter come to me in July, and she wanted to do that story, and because she was a native Arizonan, and she was like, "I want to tell a story about how cool the monsoon," and I was like, "Oh, this is that's really fun, you know." And that that would we want to do, but you know, like next summer, it's total. Aren't you already like you're curious about how it's,
0: you know, could it match it? Maybe. I think it's possible. I think it's theoretically possible that it could match.
1: Well, it's absolutely possible. I mean, there's no reason it wouldn't. I mean but it's it's an extreme and so it's unless there's been but a major like st-
0: but this yeah. is the thing it's like statistically yeah i guess it's so unlikely but then physically it's completely plausible so
1: yeah totally yeah exactly it's <laughs> right your dynamical versus your statistical yeah model.
0: it's like uh but if i was betting
1: yeah and we'll do this and we will and and i will always bet the climatology and you know if i play that over time i probably will be right <laughs>
0: We'll have to game theory it. Like, would, we'll
1: have like, to game would Mike it. actually
0: be worse off?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Ben will figure out uh, the loophole and and try to win again. So,
0: <laughs> all right, that was great. Well, I'm I'm really looking forward to you know our our 12th or 13th year uh, doing this, and uh, you know I don't care if there's three people and our our parents listening. Uh, I'm still going to. My do
1: parents do not listen to this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. I sometimes coax my mom into listening. <laughs> all right mike well have a great holiday
1: you too happy new year and uh looking forward to 2022 with y'all all
0: All right let's do it Uh, i'm sure that's melted out
1: i think they opened the ski hill on mount Lemon. did they really i think they did i I saw it was either a file photo in the newspaper or it was it was real It tickles me to death that we have a a ski hill.
0: It's the southernmost ski area in the U.S. And when I first moved here, there was like, I don't remember the year, 2008. Maybe it was 2009. But there was like a foot of snow on Mount Lemmon. And we went up to go skiing. And they closed the road. (laughs) So I was like, great. (laughs) I know. You can't You (laughs) You can't can't even ski on the the day where, you know, because it doesn't last long.